This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. It was probably 10 and a half years ago that uh, my dad came to town and we uh, decided to go to the Memphis Air Show. We wanted to go and see uh, the Blue Angels fly and just to, to witness the power of those planes. My dad was a, he was an Air Force pilot and we, 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 we decided, let's go to this, let's go to the Air Show. And so it was me and my dad and, uh, and Levi who has uh, given me permission to tell the story uh, this morning. And so we drive out to the air show, and there's a lot of people going out there, and we didn't really know the timing of it, and so we get stuck in this massive traffic jam, and we're waiting on the interstate, and we're driving. I think we were in the van probably two or three hours just to get there, but you can see the planes flying overhead, not the Blue Angels, but oh yeah, there's kind of the buildup, and so we get out there, and there's massive amounts of people, and you walk from the parking area to where the where you can see the best, and and so while we're playing, you know, just kind of standing around, my dad um, gets buys a plane for. For, for Levi, a little model uh, Blue Angel. And you got to wear the headphones, you know, like the air suppressors or the sound suppressors because it's just so loud. So Levi's got his uh, his earpieces on with his friend and they're playing because there's a lot of space in between them when the planes come. And they got their Blue Angels and they're just in the dirt, you know, like playing with the Blue Angels, you know, doing And all of a sudden the, the real Blue Angels fly overhead. And I'm like, hey, hey, there's the real Blue Angels. And he's like... <laughs> because like he's got this I got a real one in my hand why do I want to look it up at that one because he couldn't really even hear him and it just occurred to me like it's the real blue angels they're flying over our head and they were so excited to play with their own in their hands in the dirt well when I was reading through this passage this morning that just that story God brought that story to my remembrance because I, I'm thinking about the disciples And I'm thinking about their response to what Jesus has done. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's demonstrated that he's a powerful person. He's already already raised other people from the dead. He's demonstrated that he can uh, create a food supply uh, that's needed. So, I mean, think about what greater military leader could you want than a person who can raise people from the dead and create food for you to go back and then take on your enemies. And here's what they say to Jesus after he has been uh, resurrected. What does he say in verse 6 of Acts? So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So what is on the minds of the disciples when they ask this question? They're thinking, okay, Jesus, you rose from the dead. Now you are going to put us back into our rightful position in power. Because there's this Roman oppressor who's been hassling us and bothering us, who's taken over us. Are you going to now give us the power that we rightfully deserve? Instead of giving them an actual answer, (laughs) he says, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But when you receive power, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, And not to take over the Roman soldiers, but you will be my witnesses. Now the word is martyr. We know what the word martyr is, right? It's someone who dies for their faith. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, 
in Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. You see, the disciples were just thinking about this one area. If we can just secure this one geographic area for ourselves and put ourselves in power, we'll be ecstatic. We'll be really happy. And Jesus says, no, look, what I'm about to do is going to be even more significant and more powerful. You're thinking about a geographic reign that is limited. You're thinking about a, a, a kingship and an authority that has a temple, temporal reality. It's, it's, it's limited in its time and in its space. And what I'm talking about is something greater, something more significant. It's eternal. And it's glorious. And it's not only going to mean something for the people who can hear my voice right now who live in this area, but it's going to mean something for everybody in Jerusalem, everybody in Judea, everybody in Samaria, a different uh, faith system, different religion, and to the uttermost ends of the earth, to every person, every man and woman, boy and girl, is going to be impacted by this story. So no, I'm not going to restore the tur- to Israel. I'm going to do something more massive and more significant and more glorious than you can ever ask or imagine. And so it's, uh, we're like uh, those two little guys who were satisfied with a, a plastic plane in the dirt, and here are the blue angels flying by. And it's understandable, right, because they just see what's before them. And it's understandable that the disciples would do the same thing. Like, well, I mean, come on, this, isn't this why you're here, right? We've been suppressed and oppressed and then sub- subjugated to the Roman rule. And, and certainly you're going to free us from that. That's what you came to do, isn't it? And Jesus said, yes and no. There's something more glorious and more powerful that I want to do. See, he's not just satisfied with giving Israel power. He wants to give them Holy Spirit power. So they'll go to the ends of the earth and tell everybody about the glory and the goodness of the kingdom of God. And, you know, they, and then once they begin to realize that, they're probably thinking, this is going to be amazing. You know, we're going to be reached. Uh, when they begin to kind of understand this. We're going to be used by God to reach the world. What an awesome privilege. I'm excited. I'm nervous. How's it going to work out? I can't wait for Jesus to tell us exactly what to do. And so what, is it, what happens in verse 9? He's like, They're like, okay, give us the instructions, Jesus. Verse 9, he says, and when he had said these things... As they were looking on, okay, Jesus, we're ready. What are the lessons that we need to now learn? He was lifted up on a cloud and took him out of their sight. They can't even see him anymore. Hello, Jesus. What are you doing now? I mean, it's kind of like uh, being a follower of Jesus, isn't it? Uh, God, what are you doing now? Even for the disciples, the people, the men who had literally followed him and eaten with him and broke bread and watched what he did, they're still going, Jesus, what are you doing now? And so here's one thing to, be, to encourage you. If you wonder what God is doing, you're not alone. If you're confused about what is happening, you're not alone. But that doesn't mean that you quit following Jesus. It doesn't mean that when there are things that you just can't answer, when you just understand what in the world is going on in the world, that you ever stop following Jesus. You never stop following Jesus. Even when the church is messed up and when the world is messed up, you never stop following Jesus. Look, here's the thing. Think about this. You know, we've seen a lot of people like deconstruct their faith. Like they're, they're ex-evangelicals now. They're like, oh, I'm not following God anymore because, you know, these people are hypocrites. So I'm not following Jesus anymore is one of the things that people say. I mean, do you think disciples looked at Judas and said, well, you know, he's a hypocrite. So I'm not going to follow Jesus. No. They said, man, that guy doesn't get it because Jesus is the only way. We're not perfect and we get that. I'm following Jesus. 
But anyway, so Jesus takes off. He's given them this thing that you're going to be witnesses. And they're probably asking, okay, what's the budget for this? Uh, uh, Where are we going to get the money to do this? Who's going to oversee the teaching? Who's in charge of this? How many donuts are we going to need to serve on Sunday mornings to accomplish these purposes? And Jesus says, basically, you know everything you need to know. You already know because I've given it to you. I've I've taught you with my way of life. I've shown you. You just really actually need to obey what I've already commanded you, what I've already shared with you in his word. You just wait upon the Holy Spirit, and then you will be my people. In verse 10, it says, While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as he saw you go into heaven. Okay, great, that doesn't help. He's coming back, but how are we still going to do this? Like when? When's he coming back? This week? Later today? No, probably more like 2,000 years plus. But here's the task. What is the task? To be his witnesses nearby, in Jerusalem, near where they live, in Judea, in their community, in Samaria, to people who are different from them, to the very ends of the earth. So we are called to be his witnesses in our neighborhood and to the nations, to all the nations. And so what are we called to do? He doesn't give them any more instructions because I think that he's already told them what to do in his word, to trust in his word, to rest in his work, and to follow his way. And that's probably a whole sermon series in and of itself. And they also then must pray. We learn in verse 14 that all of the disciples go back to pray. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. He calls them to pray. They were waiting upon the Lord, asking God to give them the wisdom to know how to respond to what he had done. And then ten days later, the Holy Spirit comes on what we celebrate as Pentecost Sunday. The Holy Spirit comes in power. You see, when Jesus ascends into heaven and when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, a new day of prayer was created. If you think about the book of Acts, if you read through it, you see how the people of God truly become a praying people. Smed, in that book that we're reading, Disruptive Prayer, says that the volume of answered prayer escalates from an intermittent stream to a cascading waterfall. You see, in the Old Testament history, God periodically and occasionally reveals his presence in miracles. But after the ascension, great works of God burst forth with expressive fullness like flowers blossom in springtime. It's a beautiful picture. We see the world come back to life in the springtime. The winter is gone. And we see timid people become as courageous as lions, shouting long-kept secrets of heaven from the housetops. Answered prayer moves from rare exception to abiding reality. Isn't that the kind of life that we would like to have in our own experience? Is an occasional answered prayer or an abiding reality that as we pray, as we really seek the face of God, that he would indeed answer our prayers. Prayers offered in Jesus' name following the resurrection take asking and receiving into unlimited realms. Once salvation is 
one at the cross, Jesus is seated in royal power and glory, and God answers prayer by giving us what we ask for. And if you think about the rest of what, or what Jesus has said, he promised this. These are things that he has already said, and we're seeing it happen in the book of Acts. And we can honestly see it today if, if we'll but obey the command for Jesus that says to pray earnestly. This is what he has said. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus says you will do greater works than he. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. The Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Are we asking? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying, ask, 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 ask for God's kingdom to come, ask for peace, ask for restoration, ask for his power and his presence in our lives. That's what Jesus is saying to us. And yet so often we don't. So here are three things that the ascension means for us. First of all, the ascension means that we have access to Jesus. None of us obviously lived in the New Testament time, but we still have access to Jesus, certainly through his word. We have the stories of who he is and what he has done. He gives us clear instructions on how we are to live. What does it mean for us to take up the word of God and to read it and to say, when Jesus says, do this, to actually do it, to trust him, to obey him? We get access to him through the story of his word, but also personally through the Holy Spirit when we entrust our lives to Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus is actually present with us and in us, right? That the Holy Spirit is not just on one person every once in a while, like it was in the Old Testament, but the Holy Spirit is present with us and in us through the power of the resurrection all the time. And so in every moment of every day, as we journey through life, we have the opportunity to have the God of the universe who sits in power with us. But we also know uh, that we also will experience, if we are connected to Jesus, we'll experience suffering and hardship. Right, if we have access to Jesus, we have access to his suffering. We know that suffering is part of this life. Each of us are on a daily walk toward death. This may be as healthy as we're going to be today. We don't know when we will die, but we know that it's part of our reality. None of us is going to get out of here alive. Everyone will leave the sanctuary alive today, promise, but not, not this world. And along the way, we experience the physical, emotional, and mental and spiritual struggles that go along with this life. This life is full of brokenness of the world, and so we shouldn't be surprised that evil exists in this world. It shouldn't catch us off guard when evil things happen. And we know but also that Jesus suffered. He suffered uh, in isolation. He experienced sorrow. He, he, he recognized that the difficulty of the world was upon this life. And thankfully, we've been given the book of Psalms to, to give us words. To give us words to, to, to pray and to lament and to cry out when things are difficult. 
right? And hasn't it been difficult to, to wonder and to go, how, how does this happen again in our country? How do, how do we get here? How do we get out of here in a way that stops the, the tragedy? We, we acknowledge and realize that, that we're going to die. And we're on this journey toward death. And, and it's part of life. But it's not easy. I think about our sister Joyce, right? She was a, a faithful, precious woman of faith. And yet the last couple of months of her life were really difficult. She suffered pain. And yet she also received the, the blessing and the benefit of, of you, of her family, to be able to visit with her and to share with her and to, to encourage her. But it was hard. It is hard for her family and for us as we lament her loss. Now, Brandy and I were uh, visiting with a family uh, on Monday, a school family. With a, the, the dad has a, a malignant brain tumor. And just the questions and the concern and the wondering, what is going to happen? How is this going to turn out? What are we to do? Here's the treatment. Here's the plan. But like, there's so many questions about how is it going to work out? And, and what do you say when, when you stand there in the kitchen and they're crying. You say, God is with you. God is with you. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know what this means, but I know that God is with you. My friend, uh, who is an Old Testament scholar, as he uh, studied the book of Job, you know, there's all these questions about the problem of evil, the things that happened to Job, and the struggles and the difficulties, and, and his friends come along and try to explain it to him. And my friend says that he goes, the way to answer the question of why is there suffering in this world, the way Job answers the book, answers the question why, is... God is with you. God is with you. But there is suffering. Our brother Fran is experiencing great difficulties. Pray for him. He's facing challenges in his life. So man, it's been a it's been a week of struggle, of burden. Yeah, we're celebrating things. We're grateful. But I don't know about you, but I have felt a heaviness and a sorrow this week. And so what do we do? Well, Jesus encourages us to pray. And we don't usually do it like this uh, during a sermon, but I just wanted to take a moment and for us to pray together. And if you feel led to offer a prayer out loud, I would invite you to do so. Um, the only ones that can be heard online are the ones that come through the microphone, but that's okay. If you want to offer a prayer of lament, a prayer of uh, gratefulness, a prayer uh, that just asks God for wisdom and guidance in a situation. And I just invite you to do that. We're going to take a moment uh, to pray. And if it's just a silent prayer in your heart, that's totally fine. But if someone would be so bold to pray out loud, then maybe someone else would too. Let's take a few minutes uh, to pray to the King who reigns. So we know that the Ascension gives us access to Jesus. But the ascension also means that we have access to power. Yes, Jesus was broken and he was crucified, but he is also risen and is exalted. And that means that our prayers in Jesus' name to our God are different from any other kind of prayers. 
Our prayer uh, rejoices in Christ's ascension and participates in Christ's authority over heaven and earth. Sometimes we forget to whom we are praying, right? Has your prayer posture made Jesus simply a heavenly housekeeper who simply cleans up the messes of the world, making sure that your life is tidy and running smoothly? Those of us who pray in Jesus' name do not get our prayer patterns from the news, but by studying God's word and by reflecting on the glory and power and majesty of Jesus. He is a triumphant king. He is glorious and steadfast. He is powerful and majestic. And so when we lift our concerns to him, he is able to respond. You know, I know that the phrase thoughts and prayers is hard has fallen on hard times these days. When tragedy strikes, thoughts and prayers were offered. And certainly we need more than just thoughts and prayers. We need actions, tangible actions to address the major issues that we face as a nation. But we don't want to let go of thoughts and prayers because thoughts mean I'm thinking of you. I'm with you as you suffer. And prayers go to the great king of the universe. I've observed people when they face tragedy on my social media feed. Sometimes people say, I'm sending prayers to you. I'm like, I don't want any prayers sent to me because I can't do anything with them. Don't send prayers to me. I can barely function in this moment with this hardship. Don't send me prayers. Send prayers to the God of the universe. Sometimes people say, I'm sending you good thoughts. Thank you. I understand the sentiment is that I'm with you in this. But I need something more powerful than that. I need Jesus to hear from you on my behalf as I am facing tragedy in my life. The only one that can really do anything about anything in this world is Jesus. So please talk to him for me. So say, I am praying to the God of the universe for you as you face this challenge. I'm asking God to comfort you, to give you peace, not necessarily to take away the circumstance or the situation. Because Paul never prays for that, for his beloved church. But he says that you, you would have power of the Holy Spirit, that you might have courage and hope to do the hard things necessary to face this reality. And that's the power that we get, is the the Holy Ghost power. It's not the kind of power that the disciples wanted. They wanted military power. They wanted political power to govern. They wanted to defeat their enemies. But Jesus rebuked them for that kind of thinking. They were thinking too small. Yes, it's valuable to overthrow a corrupt government, but there's something bigger going on here, guys. If all Jesus came to do was overthrow the Romans, who cares? Every single human kingdom has failed. They all fizzle. And don't think America won't either one day. Love your country, but don't put your hopes in your country. America is a great idea, but it's not an ultimate idea. Jesus is ultimate, and we are to use the power that he gives to us through the Holy Spirit to love like he did, sacrificially, with kindness, with patience, keeping no record of wrong, rejoicing in the truth no matter what it is, giving ourselves and our money and our freedom away for the sake of the kingdom of God. And so we pray with power, we pray with purpose, with intention, not just to see our loved one healed from cancer, although we want that, but we pray that God's spirit would break through into the church, into the community, into the minds and hearts of the people who need to hear about the hope of Jesus, who is the only solution to the problems of this world. Are we praying for those things that only God can do? 
Are we praying for the miraculous, for the marvelous? If we aren't, we should be. Because we have access to the King of glory. So the ascension means that we have power. And the ascension means that Jesus will return one day. Two men stood by them in white robes, saying, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus will return. This is such a big deal for us in the EPC. It's one of our essentials. Number six, it says Jesus Christ will come again to the earth personally, visibly, and bodily to judge the living and the dead and to consummate history and the eternal plan of God. Revelation 22, 20. At the end of the book, it says, even so, come Lord Jesus. It will be him, Jesus, personally, visibly, bodily. He will judge all people and consummate history, the eternal plan of God. What does that even mean? I don't know. What does it mean that Jesus will consummate history? He's going to bring all things for his own glory to its ultimate end. It sounds like a dreadful thing in one sense. Full of dread that I will be judged for all of my thoughts, all of my words, all of my actions. I will be held accountable for every single impatient thought, every time I'm unwilling to forgive, for all of the things that I've said and that I've done that have not brought life into this world, but rather to glorify myself and to serve my own agenda, to hurt others, even if they didn't hear it when I said it. I'm going to be judged for every single thing. So are you. I'll be judged for the many ways that I could have helped people. I could have offered a word or a dollar or an encouragement, and I didn't. But instead, I took care of myself. It will be a dreadful day, but for the fact that Jesus has already stood in my place. Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's taken my sin, and he's nailed it there. He became a curse for me so that I would not be cursed. He became a curse for you so that you would not be cursed and sent to hell and damned forever. He took it on for you and for me. And because of that reality, it's not going to be a dreadful day. It's going to be an awful day. I'll be filled with awe at the glory of what Jesus has done when he returns to bring every person either to himself on their knees, broken, confessing that he is the Lord, or those who have worshipped him in this life to know him and worship him and glorify him and for that I give thanks even though I can't imagine what it's going to be like for my friends and my neighbors and my family that don't know Jesus what will it be like when he returns because it could be at any moment of any day what will it be like for them I hate to think about it so what's my job is to love them in the name of Jesus, to sacrifice my life, to give up what's good for me and what I would rather have and the power that I would take on, that I would want to have. I would give it away for the sake to give people access to the gospel so they would be able to hear in their own language, in their own culture, in their own way, who Jesus is. Not to say, you need to be a Presbyterian. You need to come to my church. But to say, here's who Jesus is. Embrace him and follow him and connect with people 
that want to pursue him. That's our mission. That's our role. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to even the uttermost ends of the earth. And the only way that that can happen is if we pray that God would do it. Earnest prayer. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up those who will labor in the harvest. What a privilege it is for us to know this Jesus who, who suffers with people, who has power that he gives away, who will come and draw his people to himself. What a glorious commission to experience that we would lay down our lives. What a memorial it will be when Jesus comes. And here's the thing. The way that you do it is going to be different than the way that I do it. It's a simple conversation. It's a simple word of encouragement. It's an invitation to a cup of coffee. It's a, it's a, a donation to a worthy cause, to a mission ministry. It's, it's loving someone. It's giving something. It's working behind the scenes to help someone else carry out a message proclaiming uh, word or event. It's got to be different for everybody. But what's the way that God is asking you to be invited in his mission to proclaim that the king is sitting on the throne? It's up to you, the Lord, to discern. Do you have the courage to obey what he's telling you to do? What a glorious thing to be counted among those who proclaim the name of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.